happen. Verses 1 through to 13, and you'll find it on page 735 in the Red Pew Bible, Luke chapter 11. Luke 11, verses 1 to 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We pray now that your spirit would be uh, enlightening the ignorance of our minds and the darkness of our hearts and uh, filling us with all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we would live lives that are worthy of you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. About 30 years ago, I was having a conversation with some Christian friends. We were talking about prayer. And I don't usually remember conversations that I had 30 years ago. But I remember this particular conversation for a couple of reasons. And uh, one of those reasons was that there was a uh, young lady that was part of that group who had only recently turned her life over to Christ. Uh, she had uh, she'd found new life in Christ and she was very grateful. And you know what that's like, don't you, when you talk to someone who's just become a Christian? She was, she was bubbling over with uh, enthusiasm, particularly enthusiasm about prayer. Uh, she said to the rest of us, she said... I just, I just love praying. Uh, she was so grateful and she was genuinely astounded that the God of the universe is someone who she could now talk to and that he would listen to her, that she could call him Father and that he loved her. It was so refreshing. 
It was so refreshing to be reminded of what prayer is, talking to the God of the universe and why we should pray, because he's our father. It was refreshing until someone else chipped in, an older man who'd been a Christian for a long time, and he was listening to her saying, I just love prayer, and he said, what? Really? You love prayer? He said, I just find it hard work. At which point I thought to myself, brother, that may be how you feel, but did you really have to say that at this particular point in time? (laughs) But, uh, you know, both were expressing feelings that many of us will have at different times in our lives. There'll be times when we're so just caught up in uh, wonderment at who God is and what he's done for us that we We are just overflowing with prayerfulness. And other times when our prayer life may run a little bit on the dry side of things. And we may not describe prayer during those times as being just hard work, but, you know, it's like the pressures of time, the other priorities that creep in on us. Even not knowing what to pray about may hinder our prayer life. Sometimes we we may even wonder whether or not God is really listening. I mean, why would he? Why would the God of the universe listen and care for someone like me? Now, in one sense, uh, praying to our creator should be the most natural thing in the world, shouldn't it? Um, After all, we are his creatures. But we know that it's not like that. It doesn't feel like it's the most natural thing in the world to do. And we often need to be encouraged in our prayer lives, uh, even taught by others how to pray. Now, that's how the disciples of, of Jesus felt. It was, as we've seen in Luke's Gospel and through the other Gospels, it was quite common for Jesus to spend time alone praying, to, to go to a solitary place where he could be freed from things which would otherwise distract him and even pray through the night um, pouring out his heart to, uh, to God the Father. Now his disciples of course were aware of this. I mean when you live or travel with someone who regularly is in prayer it's pretty hard not to notice that. And so in Luke chapter 2 verse 1 Uh, Luke 11 verse 1 rather Uh, one day after Jesus had finished praying one of the disciples made a request and we see it there he said Lord teach us to pray just as John has been teaching his taught his disciples Lord teach us to pray I mean how good would that be how good would it be to have Jesus, uh, God the Son, who has always been in perfect fellowship with God the Father, how good would it be to have him teach you to pray? And this is what uh, happens here in this passage. Because uh, Jesus now proceeds to teach his disciples about prayer. We're going to have a look at that. We're going to unpack it a little bit. We're going to apply it. But one of the first things we notice 
is that when we pray, uh, in verse 1, we are able to speak to God as our Father. Now, we, we're so used to, to calling God uh, Father that uh, we actually forget just how wonderful that is. In the Old Testament prayers, I don't know if you've noticed this or thought about this, but in the Old Testament prayers, God is usually not referred to as being Father. Um, I'm happy to get some feedback on this, but uh, and I haven't looked in great detail at it, but I don't recall in the prayers where he's actually prayed to as Father. Uh, we, uh, in, 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 he's usually re- referred to as Lord, or the, 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 his personal name, Yahweh. Uh, but he is sometimes called Father in the Old Testament. Uh, for example, a couple of passages I've listed there for you. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 6, when, when Israel is reminded that God has created them as people, um, they're reminded that he is Father. Uh, or uh, when Israel is reminded of his redeeming work, his saving work, as in Isaiah 63, he's also referred to as Father. And uh, there is this theme in the Old Testament that uh, God has adopted the people of Israel. He's chosen them and he is, they are his son and he is their, their father. So that is a concept in the Old Testament uh, so, and it's based on his salvation. Now we are saved through Jesus and it is only as we know Jesus, the son, that we can know the father. In fact, if you glance back at uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 22, uh, where Jesus talking to the disciples says, no one knows the Father, no one knows who the Father is, except the Son and those to whom the Son reveals him too. So we actually only get to know the Father through the saving work of the Son. Now, my friend who, had, who was enjoying praying had only just recently understood how Christ had saved her by his death on the cross. God had created her, he had recreated her, and now, through Jesus, he had brought her into a relationship with himself so that she could now call him Father. Her father. Because of Jesus, we now do not hesitate to call the creator of the universe Father. Think about that next time when you start praying and you just start by saying, Dear Father, what that actually means. But there's a bit more to this, actually. Um, Jesus. Uh, spoke a word, a language which is called Aramaic. And uh, Aramaic uh, was the language that, uh, that uh, God's people had learnt when they were in exile in, in Babylon. Uh, it's a language of uh, what would have been called at that time Mesopotamia. And when they returned from exile, they, they returned speaking Aramaic rather than speaking Hebrew. Hebrew was more the 
the language of the scriptures. The common language, though, was Aramaic. Uh, although the, the, the New Testament uh, was not written in Aramaic, it was written in Greek, which was the language that uh, most people in the ancient world, in that part of the ancient world, understood. So Jesus is speaking in Aramaic, but what he says, Luke has translated into Greek, which is then helpfully translated into English so that people like you and me can understand it. But the point that I want to make here is that the, the Aramaic word, which was translated into the Greek word for father, pater, uh, the Aramaic word is Abba. Now, it's not a Swedish pop group. Uh, Abba, the word Abba, and Paul makes a point of this in uh, Galatians, I think it's in Galatians 2, that uh, the word Abba is, is not a, a very formal, it's a, quite an informal way of referring to, to your father. So, you know, like in um, uh, uh, the son or daughter of uh, an English aristocratic kind of person, if they, ref they call the father father, it's sort of this austere, uh, distant, formal kind of expression which is actually expressing the nature of that relationship. But the, the Aramaic word Abba is far more uh, intimate than that. It's more like uh, the word dad. Uh, we might, our kids might call us dad or we might call our father dad. It's, uh, it's personal, it's intimate, it's, uh, it's close. Um, my daughter has a word for me, you know, which is her intimate friendly, warm, affectionate word, she calls me Papa. Papa, I love you. Can I have some money? Um, <laughs> um, Pete's kids have got a warm, affectionate term for him. It's called the general. <laughs> you can ask him about that later. But the point that I'm making here is actually very, very important because... God is not the remote father figure. He is our warm, intimate and affectionate father. He's, he's our, our dad. And so that's the nature of the relationship. That's the person to whom we pray. But the question is, when we talk to our father, our heavenly dad... What should we pray? Now, we know from other parts of the Bible that we can pray for anything. You know, that great passage, Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything bring your petitions to God. We can pray to God about lots of things. And when I pray, I usually pray in the mornings. Uh, I get up before the rest of the families. Uh, roused out of bed and uh, I make my way to the espresso machine. I grab the espresso, grab my Bible, find my regular chair and, and I just pour out. I read the Bible and I pour out all my concerns, you know, about 
my life, my family, my, our church, our world and things that are happening in that day and so on. And we, we should be able to do that. We should do that. We should be pouring out anything that we need to talk to our Father, our loving, affectionate Father about. And that is a great privilege. It's the most special thing to be able to do that. But our concerns should also reflect the, the concerns that God has. And that's what we see here in the passage. If you have a look at verse... I'm going to read verses 2 through to 4, where Jesus says to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. You know, I was driving the car the other day listening to the radio. It was first thing in the early in the morning or about 9 o'clock or something like that. And uh, I don't usually listen to Parliament, but um, that was on ABC at that time and it was the very beginning of the Parliament and I heard the, the speaker uh, speak up and he prayed, and he prayed what I thought was a marvellous prayer, uh, uh, praying for God's direction and his wisdom in the deliberations that they would partake in that day. And then he prayed what, um, <clears throat> what's come to be known as the Lord's Prayer from uh, Matthew chapter 6 and Sermon on the Mount, and he prayed the Lord's Prayer, and I found myself sitting in the car, and in the end I burst out with this hearty, Amen! <laughs> Amen. I kind of wondered <clears throat> what the honourable members were thinking and how many of the honourable members would have understood it or believed it. No doubt some do. But it's interesting, isn't it, that <clears throat> in Matthew 6, which is it's a different prayer because Jesus taught about prayer on more than one occasion, <clears throat> but it's very similar to this prayer, and he taught the disciples to pray in order that they would not babble in prayer like pagans. And it's quite ironic that uh, the very prayer that Jesus has taught so that people wouldn't just babble on in prayer has, I believe, become probably the world's most babbled prayer as people actually just pray it without even thinking about it and understanding it. So we need to not babble in prayer. We need to understand uh, what this teaching on prayer is saying. And it's expressing the concerns of God. <clears throat> and I've listed those concerns for you on your sheets, that uh, it's about God's honour, God's kingdom, God's provision, God's forgiveness and God's protection. The first thing is God's honour. It ought to grieve us. That we live in a world where so many people ignore and even blatantly reject God, who is the source of our lives. That God is not honoured, that his name is not hallowed, which means to be set apart, to be considered to be holy. His name, meaning his reputation, all everything about God should be hallowed, should be honoured. And it's not. And so we... We need to pray for change. We need to be praying that God would be honoured in our world 
that his name, that his reputation would be hallowed. And that happens. That prayer is answered when when the gospel is spread because the gospel is the good news. When we declare the gospel, we are declaring the greatness of God. We're declaring who he is. We're declaring his holiness. We're declaring our sinfulness. We're declaring what he has done, the great and marvellous thing that he's done in sending Jesus. And so as the gospel is spread and as the gospel is believed, the name of God becomes hallowed in our world because people join in on the kingdom. We pray for his kingdom. That's the second thing we pray for. We pray for his kingdom that his kingdom would come, that more people would be submitting their lives to his kingship, that they would join his king dominion. And that's happening all the time as the gospel is being responded to. It happens ultimately, God's kingdom comes into effect, into its full consummation when the Lord Jesus returns. And when he returns, he returns in judgment which is an interesting thought because I'm not convinced that non-Christians should be praying the Lord's Prayer if it's praying for the coming of Jesus in judgment. You want to make sure you're right with God before you pray for that. Then in verse 3, we should pray for his provision. Give us each day our daily bread. Now, I think that this can be understood at two levels. Because as we pray for our daily bread, we express our trust that God provides for our physical needs. Just enough for the day. Newsflash, our bread does not come from coals. We pray that God would provide our daily bread. But I think that there's another level to this petition in the prayer as well. And I know that it can be translated, it's give us today our bread for tomorrow. And it's worth noting that Jesus himself is the bread from heaven. In John chapter 6 verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, will never go hungry. And so as we pray for our daily bread, we ought also to be praying for our satisfaction in Jesus. Because that knowledge that one day that we will be seated, if we are in Christ, we will be seated at the banquet table of God in heaven, that knowledge of our future is that which can give us great satisfaction and joy and contentment in the now, even as we go through the trials of life. The bread of heaven is the one who's come down from heaven and gives life to all who believe. And then in verse 4, we ought to pray for God's forgiveness. Now, a question mark here is, Why do we need to pray for God's forgiveness if we are already in Christ? 
I don't think we need to pray for God's forgiveness because we are in a state of unforgiveness because if we are people who legitimately call God our Father then the reason that we can call God our Father is because we have been forgiven, we have been reconciled to God through Christ and so it's not the case that you know if you die without having asked for forgiveness about the sins that you committed you know, most recently that you're not going to be forgiven. That's not the case. Uh, Christ's death on the cross once and for all pays for our sins. But in our daily relationship with God, with God our Father, we need to understand the basis of that relationship. And we will want to be people who, who come clean with God uh, talk to him about our sinfulness, uh, thanking him for his forgiveness, but praying for our change. We want to be expressing that forgiveness is the basis of our relationship. Being sorry, repenting, and by extension now, forgiving those who sin against us because we know what it is to be forgiven. And you know what? When we forgive other people, that's one sinner forgiving another sinner. But when God forgives us, that is a holy, righteous, perfect God forgiving a sinner. That's the much greater forgiveness that takes place. And finally, we will pray for God's protection against temptation because we we don't want to sin anymore christ died for our sins and so we want to be living lives that honor god that do hallow his name in fact not only do we not want to even sin we don't want to even put ourselves in a position where we're tempted to sin and so there'll be uh, uh, areas in our life where we know that it's we are particularly prone to sin and uh, we will need to create some boundaries, some barriers. We will need to actually uh, do our very best to not even get into a situation where we're likely to be tempted in that way. And so we pray for that. When we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, it's not as if God is pushing us in the way of temptation you know, towards temptation and we're saying, don't do that, Lord. We're actually saying, Lord, keep us away from temptation and we will actually want to act uh, with God uh, in that. So there's a lot which we could unpack from this prayer, but I just wanted to outline the big picture. And the big picture is that we pray for God's honour, God's kingdom... Uh, God's provision, God's forgiveness, and God's protection. There are many other things which we could be praying for, and we should, but these concerns of God don't come naturally to us. Uh, that's why Jesus had to teach his disciples to pray these things. They're not the first things that uh, sort of come to our minds when we want to pray. 
And yet these are the things which we ought to be praying for because they reflect the mind of God. And so, like the disciples, we too need to be taught. So, that's what we pray for. The next question then is, why should we pray in the first place? And the answer is because God is our Father and he cares. Let's have a look at uh, verses 5 through to 8. In verse 5, then Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I've got nothing set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Put yourself in the shoes of the neighbour who's in bed. Right? Uh, it's midnight. You've got the kids all settled down. They're asleep. You're trying to get off to sleep yourself and then, lo and behold, the doorbell rings and you think, my goodness, who is that? And you say, who is it? And on the other side it says, it's your neighbour. says, um, look, you know, I've got a bit of a problem here. Uh, I've just got some visitors that have just popped in. <laughs> They're travelling and um, can I borrow some bread from you? And your next words are, what are you thinking? Now, I understand that in Jesus' culture, uh, visitors did tend to arrive around midnight because uh, it was easier to travel uh, in the cool of, of the evening rather than in the hot sun of the day. And I also understand that a traveller visiting a home would be considered to be like a guest of the whole village. And so... Everyone had a bit of a responsibility there. But this neighbour basically says to his friend, he says, go away. The door is locked. I can't help you. And yet Jesus says that if the other man just keeps on knocking and keeps on pestering him and keeps on asking for the bread, well, you know what's going to happen. Eventually the neighbour's going to say, all right, Look, and he hands over some bread just to get rid of the guy. Some people think and say that this is a parable about persevering in prayer. Um, they say that, you know, what the meaning is that Jesus is saying, don't stop knocking. God is like that neighbour. God will eventually open the door. Now, we should persevere in prayer. Paul tells us to pray continually. But I don't think that that's the point here. I don't, this is not a parable about persevering in prayer. Um, in fact, it's the exact opposite to that because God is the exact opposite to this neighbour. Read verse 9. He says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and what's going to happen? 
the door is going to be opened. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Um, if your uh, neighbour comes knocking on your door at midnight and says, you know, have you got some food, you know, a loaf of bread? You know, you might say, look, mate, can you come back tomorrow morning? We'll sort you out. But if your son or daughter comes to your door at midnight or phones you up at midnight needing your help, how many times are they going to have to knock? How many times are they going to have to phone? Once. Isn't that right? Once. And the door will be opened. Once. And the, and the mobile phone call will be answered. Assuming you're awake, of course. You see, even the unhelpful neighbour will begrudgingly open the door. Jesus' point is, how much more confident can we be that our Heavenly Father will answer our prayers? And although God may not give us what we want, he certainly knows what we need. Verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, the mums and the dads amongst us, uh, we, we do know how to give good gifts to our children. Um, we don't always get it right. Sometimes we make mistakes. I was reading a uh, thing on the internet the other day. Some school teachers had collected some, uh, some things which parents had said to them over the years. And one school teacher said a parent came in and said, my son doesn't drink water, you know. <laughs> and you can imagine what they've been giving him over the years. Uh, usually we know how to give good gifts to our children. And if they ask for something good, we're not going to give them something that will harm them instead. And Jesus uses the extreme examples here of a snake or a scorpion. Well, if that's true of people like us who are imperfect... Jesus says evil, then how much more can we trust that our Heavenly Father will know what is good for us and will act for our good when we ask? But notice what it is that Jesus promises that God will give. In verse 13, what does he promise? What, what will God give us? In verse 13, God, Jesus promises that God will give us the Holy Spirit. Now, at one level you think to yourself, well, that's a bit strange. It seems a bit out of place, you know, that, uh, that God would give us. But this is not just something random which Jesus has tacked on to the end here. No, this is actually very, very deliberate. We live in a world where there is very little concern to hallow God's name. We live in a world where people live not for the eternal kingdom but for this life alone. We live in a world where we trust in our own ability to provide our daily needs. We live in a world where people 
are less interested in forgiveness from God than they are interested in forgiveness from one another. We live in a world where temptation is made light of, where temptation is even thought of as being something sort of nice, where temptation is not seen to be a problem at all. Before I became a Christian, that was me. That was my view of the world. That was what I was like. And without God's Holy Spirit in my life, and indeed without God's Holy Spirit in each of our lives, we would be like that too. We would be like the world around us. But God, by his Spirit, changes our lives and changes our priorities. He does so through the Gospel. And as our prayers reflect the great concerns of God then the promise is that God will continually be filling us with his Holy Spirit so that our prayers are answered even in us. Be careful what you pray for because God will actually be doing it in you. We want our prayers to be answered in us so that we will, we will be people who honour God that we will live for his kingdom, that we will trust in him, that we will forgive and that we will resist temptation. When Jesus was asked about prayer, he began by teaching that God is our father and he finishes by impressing upon us just what a wonderful father God is. Uh, In that conversation 30 years back, I I don't know exactly uh, why the older Christian said that he found prayer to be hard work, I can guess. But I suspect that there was a lesson to be learnt from the brand new, fresh Christian. The girl who was discovering for the very first time what it means to have a heavenly father who listens, who forgives, who loves and who cares, on whose door we only have to knock once. Now, I I think that our time together today will be a failure if uh, we walk away from here thinking, well, that was just an interesting or semi-interesting talk on the Lord's Prayer, and I understand that a little bit better, and some interesting insights there, and that's it. That would be a failure. That's a waste of time. Our time together today will be truly valuable if by having a look at this passage that we actually become more prayerful people. That I don't know where your prayer life is at at the moment, whether it's gone dry or whether it's bubbling over or whether it's somewhere in between. Uh, if it's going well, then may this be an encouragement to keep on praying and praying for those things that concern God. Uh, if, it's, uh, if it's just going okay, well, let me encourage you to really build on that and to be a person who regularly spends time alone with your Heavenly Father. And if it's dead, 
if you actually, your situation at the moment is you just, the only prayers that you pray are the pray, prayers that we're praying here in church together, but your individual prayer life is just non-existent at the moment, then uh, don't feel terrible about that because it's times when we all go through that kind of thing. The thing, it's what you do next that counts. And what I want to encourage you to be doing is to be setting aside a time in your day where you're reading God's word and actually then having a conversation with your father, pouring out your heart to him and bringing back to him his concerns as your concerns. The best way of dealing with a non-existent prayer life is to just actually start praying. It's a hard thing to do at one level, but I want to say now that we're in Jesus, it really should be the most natural thing for us to do, to want to talk to our God, to our loving Heavenly Father, and to pray especially for his honour, for his kingdom, for his provision, for his forgiveness, and for his protection from temptation. In fact, why don't we do that now? Let's pray together the prayer that's, uh, that Jesus taught his disciples to pray in verse 2. Together, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Amen.